Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Sessions Rewinds. This week, we're going back to January of this year, not too far back, about six months, and we're going to listen to Jason Pantana. He is a business coach and national speaker for Tom Ferry International, chock full of great nuggets, great insight, and great ideas to help your business. Enjoy. One thing I've noticed in the major platforms, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, etc., is they are all becoming much more unique unto themselves. Several years ago, I would have prescribed a content strategy that was, hey, make your content in a laboratory and then distribute your content across all the different platforms. But now the level of optimization is such that you kind of have to have, okay, this is my short form content strategy. This is my long form content strategy. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 305 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, thank you so much for telling a friend. And today I'm really excited. Sean Carpenter, uh, who's probably my number one guest getter <laughs> on, the, on the podcast, has connected me with somebody I've known for a long time uh, because of what he does in the industry. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jason Pantana. Jason's a business coach and the national trainer for Tom Ferry. It's going to be a lot of fun today. He's uh, We're going to share a little bit about where he grew up and, and how he uh, ended up in Nashville. But what I really want to get to with, with Jason is just talking about how important coaching is in the real estate space. Uh, and why not talk with the number one coaching operation in the country? I think it makes sense. So Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped. And yeah. I guess I owe credit to Sean Carpenter. Uh, he's He's been a longtime friend, an awesome guy. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have run into each other many times uh, yeah, in yeah. different cities around the country. Yeah, Different cities, spoken at different events. Uh, we've got a long history. I've known him for most of my real estate career. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you're in Nashville. I mentioned that earlier. We'll talk about getting to Nashville, what took you there. But first, let's talk about Lynchburg, Virginia, right? Uh, <laughs> as we record this episode, I think where you live and Lynchburg are buried in a bunch of snow. Um, and, and as a kid who grew up in San Diego, I have no idea what it's like. Um, so share a little bit about growing up in Lynchburg. What's, what's that uh, all about? Yeah. So it was, uh, I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, I moved to Nashville when I was 21. That's where I am now. Um, Lynchburg, small town, uh, small town, college town, several colleges, uh, Liberty university in the area, uh, Lynchburg now university in the area, Radford, um, tech down the road, UVA down the road, up the road. So it's just definitely a college town. It's everybody calls it a cul-de-sac town and I love Lynchburg. It's, it's still, my family's still there. It's home. Um, it's cul-de-sac town because it's one of those places that people come and they don't leave. And I think they don't leave because it's just, you know, it's a nice, not too little, not too big, kind of just right size town. Um, but it was, you know, it was peaceful. I had a great suburban life, um, great family, great friends, great school. Um, it was, it was a wonderful place to grow up. I don't know what else there's to say about it. Um, other than it was just, I think what a lot of people would hope for as far as a place yeah. to kind of grow up. Yeah. I think that that small town living is, there's a huge benefit to that, right? Uh, that, yeah. that what family feels like, um, neighbors are neighbors. It, you know, it's not like growing yeah. up in a, a city where everybody pulls into a garage and goes into yeah. their home. Yeah. yeah. We were like, I was, I was, uh, there over the holidays visiting family and, 
I was like, Hey, there's where I rode my bikes, kids. And I was showing them stuff. Cause we were just driving down the area. And I was like, man, it was such a different way of living too, because I'd be on my bike and gone literally all day. Um, all the neighborhood kids, we, we had a blast. It was just a good, I grew up in the nineties. It was a good life. It was yeah, fun. I love it. Uh, you ended up going to school in your hometown, which is awesome. And yep. I always like to find out, you know, what was the field of study? What were you focusing on? What was this big plan? You know, as you're 18 years old, which is always turns out always yeah. a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, my big plan. So I went to Liberty university. My dad is a retired professor from Liberty. He taught statistics and, um, various other things in that department. Um, so I was always destined to go there, but when I went to Liberty, like what was my, my motivation, my intention was actually to leave and become a rock star. That was always my intention. Um, I have a twin brother. We were musicians. We grew up and our dream was to be successful musicians. Um, so college was just a waypoint on the path to where we were. I had, I had no focus or interest in actually doing college. When I went to college, it was, I had bigger and different plans. Those plans didn't pan out the way I expected, but life's beautiful in the way that it works out for your, for your best interest over time. Yeah. Um, so I went there, I studied, I initially started studying, um, computer management information systems. Um, mostly because I was afraid of computer science and I didn't want to act. I was like, that's going to really put a damper on my ability to be a musician and a rock star because it's going to be time consuming. So I'll take the lesser of the two. And I was most, I have an older brother. He's a software engineer and an entrepreneur. And I wanted to be like my big brother. And so I was going after technology and stuff like that. And I got in the classes and I was like, this is not where I belong. This was not the right place at all. So I changed majors and went into business marketing. And that's where I, that's what I, I did that for, well, three years. And then my brother and I had a producer who caught a hold of one of our uh, EPs, invited us to move to Nashville and record. And we were like, we made it, which couldn't have been more (laughs) untrue. But we moved to Nashville, dropped out of college, moved to Nashville and did what all aspiring musicians do. We waited tables at the Macaroni Grill at the Opry Mills Mall to make ends meet. We played gigs. We did whatever we could. Um, And honestly, like that went on for a few years of just trying to make it and not knowing what we're doing. And it was the two thousands. And so the, the economy was kind of crummy, not to blame it on the economy there. Are, you know, you always look back and say, you could have done things differently, but it worked out the way it was supposed to work out after like three years, nah, two, two, three years. I was like, this is going nowhere. So I decided to reinstate myself in my college program and finish. I actually finished the last remaining credits remotely, which I enjoyed doing it that way. Um, when I went into college, I, I was lucky enough to have had several full rides. So I, my dad worked there. I had a full ride. I went to a high school that gave me a full ride because it was associated with the university. And I played in a band there that gave me a full ride. So I just <laughs> used one I hadn't already started to finish up. And I got my degree in marketing a couple years late, but I got it. Now I have to ask it, I'm, it's Nashville. So does that, does that mean it's country music? Was that your thing or is it, can it be anything going to Nashville? It can be any Nashville, yeah. super eclectic, but yeah. we did, we were sort of directed into the pop country scene okay. um, a little bit as to how far we got into that scene. I will leave that undisclosed, but it wasn't <laughs> far enough to wait tables at the macaroni grill. We'll leave it at that. I'm just thinking, Jason, if someone does a deep enough dive online, we can find something. But it's pre-YouTube, which is really good for you, right? Yeah, we were we were MySpace users <laughs> ah, <laughs> so, back in the day. All right. It's the 2000s, man. That's true. Um, yeah, you can probably, who knows what's out there. Don't yeah. don't go digging for it. You'll okay. find something. <laughs> You'll um, find it. Let's, let's talk about real estate. How does that yeah. end the picture, right? Yeah, real estate was... Uh, 
completely random and unplanned and never, never part of anything I was ever thinking about doing ever. You know, a lot of people say, well, I've always loved houses. I used to go tour open houses for fun. That was not me at all. That is not why I got it. So literally the way I got into real estate was while I was waiting tables, um, I got married and my wife and I purchased a condo and our realtor was pretty lousy. It was a pretty, pretty lousy experience, but we got the condo and, you know, I was sort of intrigued at the process and I was aware of a lot of gaps. Like you could have done this. And I was just thinking about it, but then I never thought more about it. Went back to trying to be a rock star, waiting tables and all that kind of stuff and finishing up school. Anyways, when I would wait tables, um, it was, you know, it was a super busy turn and burn kind of restaurant. And for one reason or another, I was pretty good at selling people stuff. I could sell them olives they didn't want. I could, I could upgrade things. I knew to not sell dessert because I wanted the table to leave so I could get the next table seated and then make more money that way. I was pretty strategic about it. And I had several tables that for some reason or another, they would take an interest in me and they'd ask me questions about my life and what I'm doing. I don't, I don't know why exactly they did, but it would happen routinely. And they would say, what are you doing here in Nashville? And I'd say, I'm a musician. They're like, well, they like, like, it's like wise dad advice. They're like, what are you going to do if that doesn't work out for you? And I was like, so you didn't want marinara on the side or you did? I got a segue. <laughs> Cause I was like, where are we, where are we going with this? Yeah. And then they'd be like, what are you going to do if, uh, wait, if the, uh, music thing doesn't work out, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actor. Cause I was just a smart Alec. Oh, I'm going to be an astronaut just to kind of say, screw off. Like this is don't invade my life. Right. But then I remember there was this, actually this one guy who he was actually, I don't remember what he looked like, but he was a table I waited and he was instrumental in getting me to go back and finish my degree. I basically said, I don't need that degree, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't. And I have my reasons. And he was like, I don't think you know when you may or may not need that degree. He's like, the way I would look at it as, you know, you're endeavoring in life and you've got this quiver on your back and it's one more arrow in the quiver and you may or may not need it. And I was like, I thought about that for a long time. Hmm. And I was like, and I, I can still remember that was, you know, what, 12 years. It was it's been 13, 14 years ago. It was a long time ago. And I decided, I was like, you know what, let's see if I can get a, one of my scholarships reactivated. And I did. So I was like, well, I guess I'm doing this. So he was instrumental. And then there were several tables um, that would say to me, like, well, if this doesn't work out, you should like, you could really do great in real estate. And for whatever reason, that would keep coming up. And and honestly, my cynical thought was that must be what people say to college dropouts working at the macaroni grill. <laughs> that must be what they you should go into real estate. Um, and 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 I don't mean to be overly cynical about it, but that was my perception as a young 20-something at that point mm-hmm. in my life. I think I was like 21 or 22 when all that was going on, 23 maybe. And then I would hear it again and again and again. And then one day, I guess it would have been 2010, Nashville had these historic floods that showed up out of nowhere. Uh, The restaurant I worked at was located on the Cumberland River, which completely came out of its banks. And this mall that I worked at went entirely underwater, just all the way underwater. So I was there the night that the water was creeping up. They basically told us all to leave and go home. We have security footage. The restaurant got destroyed. And then the restaurant decided that they were not going to fire us because I don't know the specifics of it, but if we quit, we, it would not obligate them to as much like financial commitment to us. Yep. So we all had to quit our jobs to get money. And then it was, people were like, I'm going to get unemployment. And I was like, um, I'm going to get a job. I think I'm done. I think I'm, I think I'm done. And this, there's a pivotal moment for me. Like I, within that flood, I graduated a week later. So it all came to a head and I was like, I think I'm going to get a job in marketing. I now have a degree in marketing. So I put my resume out 
literally everywhere to every company I could possibly think of everywhere. And it was 2010. There's no money anywhere. Right. Nobody can hire me and I have no experience and I have this weird gap in my college resume. So I just could not get hired anywhere. I had my resume in so many places. I was on a walk with my wife one night, unemployed. Um, and I got this voicemail from some like robot saying, you've been selected for an interview at X time on this day, blah, blah, blah. Please come prepared. And it didn't say who the company was, oh, but my, no. I put my resume in so many places. And so thought to myself, well, I'll look up the address and I'll figure out what the company is. Nope. Couldn't figure it out. I was like, well, I guess I'll just generic fi my resume and hope for the best for the interview. And then I'll figure out what the company is when I get there. Well, it's this weird, it's a reasonable location, but it's like several businesses and they're not really, there's no signs anywhere. And I can't figure out what this business is. And I walk in and there's like 30 other applicants sitting in the waiting room, <laughs> filling out clipboards. And I'm, I'm like, okay, well, the clipboard will definitely tell me what I'm interviewing for. So I get this thing to fill out and there is no information at wow. all about what I'm applying for. And so I went back to, they called me back to go interview. This is just like testimony to how many resumes I put out there. Um, they call me back to go interview and there's two interviewers and me. And the first thing they asked me out of the gate is, so what specifically caused you to apply for this position? Oh, <laughs> the first question. <laughs> So I look at them and I was thinking quick on my feed. I was like, you know, there's about 30 other people out there interviewing right now. And I'm guessing you've been at this all day and you've been asking that same question to every single person. And I'd be curious for you to tell me what attracted you to this position. Wow. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, we love that question. And then they proceeded to tell me what I was applying for. Um, and somehow my resume had gotten into the pot with, they wanted me to go sell benefits and, and insurance to people who were basically on, like they were dying. Oh. And I was like, uh, no, thank you. No, yeah. thank you. But I do know why you did not promote this now um, as to what it was, but they probably bought my resume off monster.com or something like that. Anyways, okay. I was getting nowhere with getting a job after like a month or so. And I said to my wife, um, like a month or so people go for like two years looking for jobs, but I was young and you know, didn't know. I said to my wife, I was like, what does it look like if I try to go into real estate? You know, I used to hear all the time I should go into real estate. What does it look like if I try to get a job as a real estate agent? I didn't even know it was 1099. I had no idea. She was like, I think I'd be good. She was working. So we had some money, which was great, but I didn't have enough money to cover getting licensed or whatever was involved. So I called the guy who was my loan officer. Um, cause my realtor was actually already out of the business by that point in time. Cause he did not make it, but my loan officer basically told me not to do it. He's like, I don't think you're the right fit for this. I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I wouldn't do it. I was like, well, I'm going to, um, but in that conversation, I understood that there are things called brokerages and brokers, and I would need to call the broker and get instructions on what their requirements are to be licensed at their office. That was what he basically told me. I was like, okay. So I went to Google and I searched for real estate brokerages, real estate firms in the area. And I made a, a list of like 20 firms in order. And the last one on the list was the one I actually wanted. So I figured mm -hmm. I was going to be doing some swing and a miss. So I proceeded to cold call these brokers and get on the phone with their principal brokers that I thought was the boss. I didn't understand how offices worked. And I tried to convince them to pay for me to get licensed. Um, and bring me on. And I got hung up on and like, nope, don't do that. Nope, 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 nope. Are you kidding me? No. Again and again and again. But I was able to polish my script a little bit. And then I made the last call to this company called Village, uh, independent firm 
in the area that I had I had known some of their agents and thought they were cool. And I was interested to work with them. And I get this guy named Todd who answers, he's the receptionist. He answers the phone, who is also a musician. Um, cool guy. I started chatting with Todd and he starts asking me questions and picking it. Like he really wants to connect me to the right person. He's like, well, here's the deal. Um, he was like, I can connect you with, her name is Bobby. She's the principal broker. Um, she's in charge of all the agents. Or I can connect you with Jen. Jen is Bobby's daughter. She runs our marketing department. And I'm like, give me Jen. Cause I didn't, it was, it was unexpected. I was like, so I, I go to Jen and it goes to her voicemail. So I hit zero to come back. And I was like, ah, she didn't answer. Let's go to Bobby. Uh, so I go to Bobby and I talk to her and lo and behold, she says, come see me tomorrow morning at nine 30. And I was like, okay, okay. So I put on my awful suit and I had long hair and earrings and everything. And I went into the office to interview for what I thought was a job. I, I, did, I had no idea. I thought I was going to get a paycheck, but I went in there and I told her what I needed and what I was wanting to do. And she told me, no, we don't do that. She said, I've invested in agents in the past and it's always turned out to burn me. It's never worked out. And then I just kept countering her politely until eventually she said, I don't think I can say no. I think I have to say yes. So she said, I'll make a deal. I'm going to recoup it out of your first three closings and then we'll be even. And I said, sold. So they funded me to get licensed, uh, the money I needed to get my exam. I took it. I was their rookie of the year, did very well in sales. Um, and it was at that office. I met another mentor in my life. His name is Brian Copeland. Hmm. Um, and he was an agent at that office. And Brian, you, you, I can tell you know Brian Copeland. Yeah, yeah. Brian Amazing got guy. me started in the speaking world. So there was a random day where an agent was supposed to be teaching a class on how to use a Mac. This is like 2010. This is old school. How to use a Mac. And he got sick and he couldn't do it. And they knew I had a Mac. So they're like, could you fill in for him? So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll fill him for him, whatever. Um, and Brian was in the class who also had a Mac. But for whatever reason, he thought I was pretty good at teaching and training. So he started throwing my name in the hat as I was building my real estate business to speak at boards of realtors and things like that. And before mm -hmm. I knew it, I was traveling and speaking. And then there was this big opportunity that came up from the National Association of Realtors. Um, they were starting this initiative called Rethink the Future of Real Estate. And it was going to be basically a traveling roadshow of a handful of pretty established speaker types in the real estate community. And then Brian recommended they use me. And I, I filled out an application. I was completely underqualified, but they agreed to meet me. So I went to DC for the mid-year to meet with the team and get grilled and interrogated. And uh, long story short, they selected me. And so I got an airplane and I went all over the place and I traveled and I spoke. And then after that, I ended up, I'm still selling during all of this, but I ended up getting mm -hmm. a booking agent. So I'm now on the road speaking and training more, talking about technology and marketing and how to build your business as an agent, all the while building my own business. And I did that for several years. Uh, and then eventually I got a phone call from Coldwell Banker Corporate, their headquarters. Um, and they were like, we'd like you to stop selling real estate, move to Jersey, work out of our Rilogy headquarters as our director of learning and engagement. So I thought about that. I took time to talk to my wife about that. And it wasn't an easy choice, but it was a good choice. We did it. Um, so we, we sold our place in Nashville and we moved to Hoboken, New Jersey for, for a couple of years. And I worked as their learning director, which is, which is where I met Tom. 
in that okay. process. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Anyways, that's a really long story, isn't it? No, that, look, I think I think it's amazing. I think that uh, many a story that you has that same kind of a beginning for people that are, uh, you know, educators, trainers, and coaches in the field. They were an agent, and somebody said, "You'd be good at this. You should give it a shot." Yeah, and it's it's very cool. I think that's great. Yeah, indebted to a lot of people along the way. Yeah. So, what is it like meeting Tom for the first time? So I get up there and my boss, his name is Dave, Dave rude, but he was very kind, not rude at all. Um, he was a really great guy. And he said, all right, you're going to, but we had a, we have to do an event for, um, a regional event in California. So I need you to plan the event. That was like my job. And at this point I had been doing a lot of real estate events. So I knew what I was doing. And I was like, any, any specific speakers I need to book Matthew Ferrara, something like that. And he goes, book Tom Ferry. And I, I actually had never heard of Tom at that point. I had ne- I was like, who? Who's that? So I YouTubed him and I was like, holy cow, who is this guy? <laughs> I'd never heard anybody yeah. like him in my life. So I got a hold of his people and I booked Tom Ferry to be the keynote speaker for a regional event. I would typically go out and host and MC these events and do some of the speaking too. And then Tom was the keynote speaker. And it was the, I remember it was the first time I heard Tom Ferry speak. And I was like, I didn't, I did not know that there was a person that could do this in this industry. Um, like to me, this was like watching Tony Robbins. I was like, wow, this dude's absolutely phenomenal. And his content is amazing. And the way he connects that I, I learned so much watching him. And so I would do lots of events over the time at Cole Banker with Tom and got to know him pretty well. Uh, we, we worked with other speakers, Stefan Swanepoel, we worked with some other great people too, Katie Lance, lots of great mm-hmm. people. But Tom and I, I just, for whatever reason, I was like that right there. And that is, I want to be like that guy. I just want to be like that guy. So I would actually study him. I would watch the Tom Ferry shows and I would emulate, I would say everything he said, like he said it after him as practice for, from speaking at home, just when nobody was watching me. Cause I just thought he was freaking awesome. And there was a running joke at the office. They would all watch me like studying how he was. And they're like, you're going to quit and work for him, aren't you? And I was like, no, stop it. It's never going to happen. No, 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 it's not going to happen. And then, uh, Fast forward, I didn't, it wasn't, I won't go into the details. It wasn't a direct transition to Tom's company, but it was a, um, I made a decision to leave and reinvest in my own self as a speaker. And then there was an opportunity with Tom that was like lightning quick where we formed a relationship. And that was in 2016, 2016, I started working with Tom and the rest has been an amazing journey. I'm sure you've heard this before, but if, if I close my eyes uh, there, if you had a, if you had a audio doppelganger, you sound a lot like Tom. I think that stuff you were doing. I, well, back I, <laughs> I do. And I, I've heard that a lot before and yeah. it's obviously it's because I studied him right. and it's because he became like the, I can't think of the right word right now, but he became basically the person I was trying to emulate. Yeah. So it awesome. sort of built some, some of the base programming and foundation came from that. Yeah. Cause I would, I would literally sit there. Um, put YouTube on, turn the volume up and repeat what I was practicing to Tom, which I don't know that I would advise people doing that necessarily, <laughs> but it's what I did. Okay. Um, I know I've heard of Tom Ferry. I think everybody that listens to this podcast knows who Tom Ferry is by now. What is the size and scope? I guess that's the way I'll put it of, of the, of the Tom Ferry real estate coaching. So, you know, the, the company. Number one coaching program for, I believe we're at eight years consecutively, according to the Swan Pool Power 200. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the exact number of how many contract holders we have, 
but we have over 10,000 agents in our ecosystem wow. involved. So it's significantly large. And there are other coaching programs, I suspect, where they might have maybe higher agent counts that aren't actually involved. So we're talking about right. agents that are actually actively in the program. So we have a pretty, it's a pretty big chunk. Again, I haven't got the updated number, so I won't misquote anything here. Sure. But if you look at, and I would, I would say this in general, real estate professionals who put themselves in coaching compared to those who don't do better, plain and simple, because they and an objective third party are looking at their business and they're making strategic choices about what's working, what's not working, what do we need to do more of, where are the opportunities, where are the threats? And they're making that analysis and they're running their businesses more intelligently. I'm happy to report that inside of our coaching program, we have sizable improvements in folks' production because ultimately what our coaching program is about you, like it costs money, it's an investment, it's an investment in your own business, just like any coaching program is, mm -hmm. but you're worth the investment. And I'm happy to report that my coaching clients have in a way paid absolutely nothing because they're profitable and we've been able to accelerate their businesses from well beyond where they were, well beyond where they were. And another benefit that's been really nice is given the size of our ecosystem and the level of engagement between clients, there's a lot of referrals that go on. Mm -hmm. So I know like I actually, when we do the, we've just done business planning for the last, just to get ready for 2022. And we actually have to make agent to agent referrals from Tom Ferry organization, from our ecosystem, an actual lead source, because there is so much of it wow. going on. So there's that level of investment where it's like, oh my goodness, if you're not getting referrals and making your coaching free, you're not networking effectively. Because even if you didn't sell a house from the coaching, the referrals alone should give you opportunities. But yeah. you know, hopefully my point's clear on what I'm saying there. Yeah, makes sense. I want to talk to you as a coach. Let's get yeah. some some good takeaways for the for the people listening. And and totally. yeah, let's talk about there's got to be some common areas, right? Where when you sit down with somebody and you're having that that initial consultation that you just go, "Wow, I've well, I've seen this over and over." Some something they're not really focusing on that they should be. Yeah, so there are well there's several things that I would say. Um and I'll just go with what's fresh in my mind right now. And these are almost like, I'm just thinking about it. There's almost like a mirror to it where they're mm. almost opposite of each other. Um, I'm seeing a lot of folks who I've talked to, and these aren't necessarily my own personal coaching clients, but people like I talk to other clients in our ecosystem a lot, mm -hmm. just agents I'm talking to in general. I'm seeing a lot of people who are like, you know, I'm, I'm making videos, I'm posting on social and it's not the silver bullet I thought it was. And then I go watch the videos and I'm like, I can't really tell if you're actually trying. And I know that sounds harsh, but one of the things I've been realizing now is no matter what you do from a marketing standpoint, from a sales standpoint, from a uh, life standpoint, if you want it to work, you've got to work it hard. That's the bottom line. If I want to really build relationships with my database, past clients, sphere of influence, and I don't call them, or if I do call them, it's like a slide dial and it's completely inauthentic. Am I really building a relationship that cultivates referrals? Yeah. No, I'm not. In the same way, if I'm just kind of like farming in my videos, like not really doing it, it's all just canned content and I'm just filling in content on social for the sake of having content, that's actually not content. So I've been asking my, I've been asking a lot of the folks I'm working with lately, I'm asking a couple of different questions. One, is your content filler or is it legitimate content that would, that people would want to follow? Would you want to follow you? Because if your videos, if your content isn't doing that, nobody's going to want to follow you. And the other piece to it is what is the thing you're insanely, obsessed about when it comes to your social media content? What are you giving away? What's your value proposition? Because if you want to be followable, 
if you want people to refer you business, to DM you and actually perceive you as an expert in the marketplace with whom they'd want to work, if you want social to work for you, what are you insanely obsessed with? What are you giving away? What's the value proposition in your content that's going to make people come to you like a beacon in the night? I know I'm speaking kind of abstractly, but I'm definitely seeing a lot of people specifically with social media where they assume just doing it is enough, Mm. but it's not. Like again, another analogy, if I go to the gym and I lift light weights, I'm not going to really build the muscle. You got to do the work. Does that make sense, Bill? Yeah, yeah, completely. Then there's the flip side of it where um, I've seen agents, they're not diversified enough sometimes. I think it's super important, especially in 2022, to make sure you're looking at all your legion that you're diversified. Um, I've seen like, I think you should do video, but I don't think you should not do traditional legion. I don't think you should not not call your database or prospect or things along those lines. So I think it's just a matter like business advice right now is, have four to six lead sources where you can, you can definitively say, I get business from these groups of people from these by doing these actions and then do those actions again and again and again and track and measure so that you know what's actually producing, what's actually working, what moves the needle and that you don't lose sight of it at the next shiny penny. Does that make sense? Is that definitive yeah. enough? Yeah, it does. And, and then I want to, a great follow-up for me is how do you hold them accountable if you have that conversation and they say, I'm going to do this, isn't that a big part of what you do? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I write yeah. it down. And then the <laughs> next week when I talk to them, I say, did you do it? Yeah. And then they say yes or no. And then we deal with it accordingly. Accountability is a buzzword, but it's just, hey, did you do the thing that I wrote down that you said you were going to do last week? Yes or no? Um, we have the plan. We have, we have your business plan right in front of us. We have a software called Alum that I can look at it and say, these are the least sources you committed to, yet I've seen no actions that you prescribe for yourself taken yet. So we have like, did we bite off more than we can chew? Do we need to, do we need to adjust your plan? What does that look like? Last week's guest, just, this is just coincidental. Yeah. It was Katie day, right? Uh, moved awesome. me to Texas. She's amazing. You're her coach. She mentioned that on the show. Um, and she, she said that you were, you're pushing her hard on video. And it's funny because you just talked about that a little bit. Because Katie's really good at that, and then the, and then we talked in the in the episode about a particular video about pros and cons of Houston, how she just knocked it out of the park with that video, yeah, and trying to find more um, topics that are in that kind of to- that, that, that sort of that vein, area, yeah. that vein, yeah. So so for for people listening, what would you share? You know about if there's something simple to say about video, what would it be? And I think you you've kind of touched on it. It's you want to be passionate. You want to, it's got to be something you care about. It's got to be something others care about, right? Yeah. That's not very tangible though. For, and right. I can admit that it's not a okay. super tangible strategic okay. statement. Okay. Yes. Be passionate about it. Right. Yes, Jason. Very good. Okay. We all agree <laughs> with the pros and cons example that you cited with Katie. One thing I've noticed in the major platforms, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, et cetera, is they are all becoming much more unique unto themselves. Several years ago, I would have prescribed a content strategy that was, hey, make your content in a laboratory and then distribute your content across all the different platforms. Mm-hmm. But now the level of optimization is such that you kind of have to have, okay, this is my short form content strategy. This is my long form content strategy. You got to be much more specific about it. So like the pros and cons, I would call that more of an SEO YouTube strategy because YouTube's a search engine. Um, it's, it's owned by Google. It functions differently than TikTok or Instagram, for instance. Like think about, think about the typical behavior of a user on TikTok or Instagram. They are scrolling through a feed. They are no different than my dad was late at night flipping through channels. They have not committed to watching anything, to viewing anything, to parking on anything. They're just scrolling through the feed. And so 
the the onus is on you as the content creator to make something that is really going to capture their attention very quickly or they are gone. Yeah. So on Instagram and TikTok, for instance, it's about capturing attention. But on YouTube, it's about holding attention. YouTube's a search engine. So on YouTube, the fundamental way of using YouTube is still you go type in the search bar, the thing you want to go watch. And then based upon the relevance of those videos and how they've performed over time, there's going to be ranked results just like Google search is ranked. And there's a, I could go on for days about how to get your videos to rank better on YouTube. There's that's, that's an art and a science unto itself, but like pros and cons is like pros and cons of moving to Houston. Well, given that she's in Texas, like this is strategic because a lot of people are considering moving to Texas that had never considered moving to Texas before. And so there's search volume built up for those types of search phrases. Um, there are other agents in our ecosystem like Jeremy Knight who will do like moving from California to Texas, best cities to live, to move to in Texas. And he'll create all these different videos that are specifically predicated on the searches people are typing into YouTube. And so when someone comes to YouTube to watch a video, they come with a greater attention span because they came looking for your content. So again, it's holding attention versus capturing attention. You got to capture it. I don't want to act like you don't have to. You have to hook them to view your video, but they will watch for six minutes, nine minutes, 12 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour. If it, if it's the topic that, if it warrants watching for that long. Mm -hmm. So like my videos on YouTube are much longer than what I'm posting on Instagram and TikTok. So what I would say to anybody who's thinking about doing their video game is decide what are the results you want. Okay. So like If you say to me, Jason, I just want to generate leads off a video. Okay, well, it seems to me your choice is clear, YouTube. Now, the downside of YouTube is it is highly competitive. Um, On a search results page, there are maybe five or I can't, I don't know the exact number of videos they'll show on one, on the first page of the results. But if you're not on the first page of the results, you're buried in the ground. So you need to be able to actually optimize your videos accordingly. However, if you want leads like Jeremy Knight again, Jeremy Knight is I was talking to him in December. He and Katie and several others were, there, were at a video mastermind. Jeremy Knight has literally um, generated in 2021 $100,000 of GCI per month off of his YouTube channel. And it's not monetized. It's actual lead gen because he positions himself as the knowledge broker, the expert for people who are relocating or selling in his marketplace. He gives real estate news. He talks about the best neighborhoods or pros and cons of certain neighborhoods or certain types of houses or underperforming, overperforming areas, why not to go to some areas. He thinks like a search engine in the videos he creates. So does Katie, like pros and cons, same kind of a strategy. Right. Think like, like what are the search phrases people are entering in? And then if you optimize your videos, right, you rank in the search results, they watch and then they watch next, which is another video of yours and another video of yours. And eventually they land on your website or they click the about tab on your channel and they email you and they say, hey, we're moving to the area or hey, we're thinking about leaving the area and we need to talk to you about selling or buying. What I really like about YouTube is it's greater intent. So the probability of generating in-market leads organically is much stronger. And that's just the organic side of it. YouTube's got a whole paid side that's a different conversation for a different time. That's freaking phenomenal. But then there's like TikTok and Instagram and I'm a strong believer in reels and uh, vertical short form video too. And you know, like I look at myself as kind of a generalist when it comes to marketing. So I coach people differently. I have some clients where I'm like, you know what? You're in a second, third home market, vacation home market. There's already a lot of search volume. You live in Texas, you live in Florida. There's a lot of search volume on YouTube for people 
entering in things about real estate, YouTube's a no-brainer for you. Versus some people live in marketplaces where, A, there may not be a lot of search volume on YouTube, so your ability to generate leads may be lower than other people, or the personality of the individual could be different where it's like, you're a Glenda Baker. Your personality is so amazing. You would crush TikTok. You would crush Instagram. To me, I've been, this is, here I go with analogies again. I think about agents as like trees. They're all trees, but they're all very different. Some of them are on hillsides. Some of them are on fertile. Some of them are by water, far from water. Some of them are in cold conditions, warm conditions. Like there's all these different environmental factors that influence how the tree grows. So I think about agents, like there's all these external variables Mm. and inward, like internal variables that influence how they grow. And as a coach, you've got to recognize that if you're going to be the horticultural, whatever they are, if you're going to be the arborist, arborist agents, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do that, you got to recognize how they're different. So like short form video is another avenue, but you're fighting for attention, which means you need a, you need a lot of content. So like Katie day, because Katie day does everything. That's like, that's her superpower is she is not confined. Like she doesn't get stuck in a detail. She just crushes it. Like she blitzes everything. Yeah. So she has a short form vertical video strategy too, where they record, I think like one day a week, they'll sit down and record for like an hour or two and she'll knock out like 10 or 15 videos that she can use for reels and so forth. And it's just her point of view about how to buy real estate, sell real mm-hmm. estate, invest in real estate. What do you need to know? And she positions herself as a knowledge broker. Um, some agents are funny. And so they can do really well with like TikToks and short form videos. Some agents think they're funny and they're not funny. Um, like I think, I think the key is there's plenty of room out there to be successful with video. You have to look at what do I want to get out of this and what am I working with? What, and then what is the best path for me to take given the different options? I would also say to you, like algorithmically speaking, um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, all of them. It is really important that I think you niche to get rich. Like what is the subject matter that you want to communicate in your videos and all of your content, not just videos, posts too. What, like if Instagram were looking at your page, would it be evident to Instagram what your content is about and therefore who it is for? Because algorithmically Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and every one of those platforms, their algorithmic job is to size up who you are as a content creator and then go find people who would like that content. So if you're giving them this vast variety of content that's here, or if it's filler content and it's not really you, you're actually, you're actually straining the ability of the algorithm to position you Mm. to the people who would actually follow you. Does that make, is that too abstract of a thought or does that make sense? No, not at all. I look, um, being focused in makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, and it's just an, it's the, the so literally if you're a lot of the agents think, Oh, I've got to be entertaining and funny to be successful on Instagram. No, you don't because there's a big, there's a billion users or whatever. No, you don't. There's enough people out there that if you allow the algorithm to understand who you are, it will find out who you're for and it will bring you your customers that way. That's just the organic side of it. Yeah. We have to talk Google. Let's do it. Um, I've seen you. I've seen you recently uh, online and a couple other places having conversations about how important that. I think they're calling it the Google Business Profile now. It's changed you again. It. Yeah, <laughs> it's formerly again. called Google My Business. Formerly <laughs> called Google Places. Formerly called Google Plus Local. Oh, Google Plus. Oh, rest in peace. They well, um, it's the same thing every iteration. They just. Yeah. My theory is a new a new marketing director comes in. They're like, I want to put my stamp on this thing. Let's change yeah. the name. Yeah. You know, if we could talk about. The importance of that and and what's the, I mean the local services ads are unbelievably mind blowing. Yeah, why don't we start with the local services ads if we could? 
So first and foremost, Google local services ads. If you've ever seen, done a Google search for best plumber nearby or best realtor nearby, you may see at the very top of Google, um, arrayed from left to right, the pictures of three individuals, star ratings, and a phone number that you could, like it's a little box you can click on and actually contact that agent directly. Those are called Google local services ads. They sometimes might have a, they might say Google screened or Google guaranteed. Those are subtypes of Google local services ads. If you are not running Google local services ads, you've missed out and you're going to continue missing out if you don't start. Just type in Google, Google local services ads. Click the ad at the top, follow the steps. It is a bit tedious because they want to see proof of insurance, like errors and emissions. They want to see your license. They want to prove that you're legit before they start recommending you to customers. And then start running your ads. It's There's not really much to do other than say how much you want to spend and what kind of leads you want. Do you want renter leads or do you not want renter leads? Do you want first-time buyers or do you not want first-time buyers? Just turn those things on and off. It's a very easy technical ad to run. It's just tedious in that it's like going to the DMV because you got to be able to have like your license and stuff to show them that. Um, run them because you're paying for the leads. The way the, the, way the program works is you specify a, a monthly or a weekly budget and then you only pay for legitimate leads. They will estimate how many leads you get and oftentimes their estimates don't come true. You don't get nearly as many leads and so you don't pay the money. And so I have clients who are willing to pay a thousand bucks a month or something like that. And they don't, some months they might, some months they they don't, but it boils down to either you got the lead or you didn't. Now they're not going to charge you a thousand bucks for one lead and just say, sorry, it was only one lead this month. They actually have some integrity behind what they're doing. So the reason I say it's a no brainer is because you're only paying for what you get. And here's the fundamental difference about these leads. If you think about like original Zillow premier agent, original, like historical Zillow premier agent, it was basically a uh, consumers on the website. They find one, two, three banana street, the home of their dreams. Honey, come look at this house with me real quick. And then they're so interested in the house that they likely want to see the house. And they saw a button on the screen that says contact agent. So they hit the button contact agent, knowing they probably want to see the property. And then instead of scheduling a showing at that time, uh, Zillow showed them the images of three agents, pick one. And so the agent became the middleman, the middle person, right? Um, I got to work with this agent to go see the property. They're dispensable to me. And it's a game of chase. Now it's an in-market lead. I'm not discounting the quality of that lead. It's a lead, but they didn't come for you. They came for the house and then they got you instead versus Google local services ads are triggered when somebody actually types in a search phrase like best realtor near me. So they didn't go looking for a house. They came looking for you, which is consistent with seller intent more than buyer intent. So I'll leave it at that. You need to be running Google local services ads. Um, couple of pro tips, answer the phone. They're, they're paying attention. If that phone rings, and you don't answer. It's going to diminish your ability to rank. Spend the money. Uh, if you don't want renter leads, turn them off. If you don't want certain things, turn them off. You have the ability to dispute, like if an agent calls you to sabotage you, you can dispute that. They're not going to charge you for that. I would also suggest that you need to try to get reviews on the actual Google local services ads. You can sync it with your Google business profile, formerly Google My Business, but those reviews may not all show up. It's not the same thing. They can be synced, sort of, but you have to realize these are entirely different departments at Google, probably in different cities of different people who do not talk to each other running two different things. So Google business profiles and Google local services ads are not the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Then there's your organic side of this, which is your Google business profile, formerly called Google My Business. 
Um, if you were on Google Maps and you see all those little like best pizza near me and you see all those little red pens that pop up on the map, every one of those red pens represents a Google business profile. Um, and they are industry specific. They, be, they could be plumbers, arborists, pizza restaurants. They could be realtors, whatever. You need a Google business profile. I have published a lot of content on your Google business profile. If you just Google my name, type in Jason Pantana, Google my business or Jason Pantana, Google business profile, you're going to find video and content and blogs on what you need to do to optimize your profile. Your Google business profile is free money. Candidly, it's free money. If you understand how to make it rank. Um, I just did a blog this week, actually, where I talked about the top four things you can do really to get your page to rank. And where does it rank? Well, if somebody does a Google search for best realtor near me, typically, as long as we're in the States, not all parts of Canada have Google local services ads, but typically the first thing the searcher will see at the top is your Google local services ads. The second part of the screen they'll see is your traditional Google search ads, which are very expensive because you're probably advertising against home light or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. But the third section is what's called the Google local pack. It's the portion of the screen that's half a map and it has three listings. And then you can click to view more listings. Those are Google business profiles and they are organic. I have coaching clients who are generating, they're ranking on 15 to 20,000 searches per month. And they're generating 50 calls, inbound customer calls per month, plus messages per month. Um, they're getting, I don't know, a thousand people to their website or more per month. So the opportunities with your Google business profile is nuts. And one of the benefits is it's one of those things where you do the work in the beginning and the maintenance is not nearly as labor intensive as say making videos for Instagram, right? Because that is a constant hamster wheel, but your Google business profile is more like a bicycle. Yeah. You got to pedal it, but it's got some gears to assist you. So it's a lot of upfront work of getting the optimizing your name so that it's ready for search, understanding to choose the right business categories. But the only required work ongoing is add photos and videos and get reviews. That's pretty much it. Yeah. P people don't understand that at the very bottom of that Google business profile, there's a place, there's a feed. you got to fill that up, right? you got to put content Well, that's your there. Google post. Yeah. So you got to post. If you, yeah. And honestly, I would actually, I wouldn't say the same thing you put in Google post could also be added as a Google photo. Yeah. That's awesome. Post, if you have 30 second reels, for instance, that you're publishing to Instagram or Facebook or wherever it is publish them to your photo section. Yeah. It's just more content yeah. and it's more impressions. Yeah. Let's use that stuff. Let's use it. Yeah. Um, Jason, this has been great. Jason, the arborist Pantana. Uh, this has been great. I, Agent arborist. <laughs> let's not circulate. Let's not, okay, let's let's not let, don't arborists cut trees down. <laughs> no, they, no, they fix them. They, 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 they bring them back them. to life. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to get to the final question. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned pick up the phone. Um, I've asked this question to every guest since Jay Thompson, who was our first guest in 2015. And I said, Jay Thompson. I said, Jay, what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just starting out? And his answer was, pick up the damn phone. So you can't use that answer. But Jason, what's your, an what's your answer to that question? What one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting going? Um, respect that I'm just basically reaching into a hat of other things I could recommend. Sure. I'm going to tell you, get over it and start making videos. Like, just start making videos. We had a conversation. Uh, we did a video mastermind at Tom Ferry's office about a month and a half ago. And I was listening to Glenda Baker talk. And this is actually a video clip that's on Tom's uh, Instagram channel right now. And she was basically saying how like, you know, she used to do an hour a day of just lead follow-up and calling her leads and stuff like that. This, this is not excusing calling your database, call your database. Yeah. But she would do her 
cold calling and all that kind of stuff, which there's nothing wrong with that at all. It works. But she was like, in an hour, I could maybe have maybe 30 calls. Like maybe I talked to 30 people, maybe. And that's being a big stretch. But when I post a video to TikTok that gets a million views, I get, I can reach 30 people in about three seconds. And the number of comments she's getting, I can have conversations of people who are coming to me and building my brand. And so looking at video as, you know what? At the end of the day, what is marketing? Marketing is communication. This is a relationship business. The job of marketing is to be a marketing channel through which, with which, by which I communicate with my prospective customers or my past customers. And so the tools are the tools are the tools. And right now the channel by which you can communicate, I would argue one of the most effective channels is video. So whatever your reservations are about video, um, get over them because it's the tool. I mean, if the phone had come out and you hadn't used it because whatever, that's a silly, like looking back in hindsight, you're like, how silly of me? I should have just used the phone. I would say you will one day look back and think, how silly of me? I should have just made the videos. Yeah. That's my thought. Jason, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Just connect with me on social. You can go to my website, jasonpantana.com. You can DM me on Instagram. I am Jason Pantana there and on YouTube. Just, I've got a stranger last name. So just Google me and you'll find me. Yeah. Jason, thanks so much for your time today. This was awesome. Uh, and, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of see what you're doing in the future. I, I pay attention to what you're saying. I think a lot of people uh, should be doing that. So I'm super pumped to have been here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. (laughs) 